Hello and welcome back to the last episode of the Retail Oasis Retail Wrap-Up for 2023, the podcast for retailers. You're joined by retail strategist and enthusiast, Maddie Colmer, that's me, as well as my fellow colleague here at Retail Oasis, Emma Easton. We'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we live, work and record this podcast, the Guyamuggle people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging, and we extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here today. Today we've got a special treat in store for you as we sit down with the dynamic duo behind one of Australia's most innovative and eco-conscious footwear brands, Jess and Steph Dadden, the co-founders and co-CEOs of Tubes. In 2016, when using the word vegan in fashion wasn't mainstream, these two sisters decided it was time for a change. They created a brand that's not just about shoes, but a whole new kind of fashion philosophy. They consciously combined their focus on sustainability and ethics to create a fashionable yet comfortable shoe. In today's episode, we unraveled their incredible journey, exploring how they turned a damaged stock shipment into a marketing boom, how they navigated the challenges of sustainability in fashion, and what exciting things they have in the pipeline for the remainder of 2023 and into 2024. We'll also dive into their exciting collaborations, including a recent one with First Nations artist Glenda McCulloch, where they seamlessly blended Indigenous art with their shoe designs, creating not just fashion, but art for your feet. And as if it's not enough, we'll discover their commitment to giving back, from supporting local kindergartens to inspiring other women to start their own businesses. So if you're curious about how two sisters managed to create a brand that's challenging the world of fashion and sustainability, you're in for a real treat. Jess and Steph are here to share their insights, experiences, and a whole lot of inspiration. Stay tuned as we journey through the world of tubes and uncover the secrets to their remarkable success. Without further ado, let's get started with Jess and Steph, the co-founders and co-CEOs of Tubes. A very big welcome to Jess and Steph. Welcome to the Retail Wrap-Up Podcast. Thank you. Excited to be here. Ooh. <laughs> uh, so Tubes has a unique and intriguing story. Could you share more about the creation of your beautiful brand and how it came to be? Sure. Yes. So I guess people can't see us because usually when they can, they can tell that we're sisters almost immediately. Um, so we are sisters and we've been working in the fashion industry together for about 12 and a half-ish years. We actually started a blog together called How to Live back in 2012, uh, which was a really wild journey and kind of at the very beginning of blogging in Australia. And so we slowly started to build a brand from there. Yeah. So it started as a daily diary between the two of us when I was moving to Paris for six months. And it took off really quickly. We ended up being flown around the world to fashion weeks, working with fashion brands, styling in things, modeling in things, which was just like a total surprise to us. It just kind of happened. We'd always dreamed of working in fashion, but that was an amazing way to get our foot in the door. Um, From there, we ended up Instagram came out. So we built quite a big Instagram following. And after a couple of years, we just, there were a few kind of reasons why we wanted to create our own brand. One of them was because we saw an opportunity because we were obviously selling things for all these other brands. And we were like, wait, we could be doing this for our own product. And we also saw an opportunity to create shoes that were comfortable because we were going to all these events and ending up with blisters from these really uncomfortable giant platform shoes. 
And so that was when we decided to create tubes, which were was footwear that was comfortable but also ethical. So we started as vegan and then a few years later when the environment was becoming something we were both really passionate about, we pivoted that magical word that everyone talked about in COVID to being more sustainably focused. So now we're really environmentally focused footwear, still super comfy and super cool as well. Amazing. I mean, you kind of touched upon it, which is that emphasis of sustainability and ethical practices so you guys obviously use like recycled materials to create your product. And on top of that, you also offer a shoe recycling program and you kind of in, integrated that environmental consciousness within your brand's DNA. How did you, how did this kind of commitment evolve? Like, did you always know in the back of your minds that it was something that you were going to do? I know you mentioned that you started as vegan or rather ethical and then pushed into it. Was it always in the back of your mind or did it really just come together as you saw maybe your customer become, you know, more interested in that space or was it just something that you always knew? We started out being a vegan label, as you mentioned, and that was just from a genuine love of animals. Steph and I are both huge, huge animal lovers, and we couldn't ever get our head around the concept of using animal products in a brand that we were creating. We weren't even actually vegan ourselves when we were starting the brand, but more and more on a personal level, we were becoming engaged in the climate crisis and becoming increasingly concerned about it and I guess for a long time there was this separation between what we were like personally interested in engaged in being the climate crisis and then we would just like show up to work and create these synthetic shoes that were vegan and that we still believed in but there was this real disconnect between personal values and what we were showing up at work to do and it was this real point of tension that kind of existed within both of us for probably about 12 to 18 months. We started to make tiny little steps. I remember initially we thought about what that would even mean to bring the environment into our brand and we hired this environmentally focused fashion consultant and we were hoping that she would just come into our brand and give us this golden key that would unlock all of the secrets that were being a sustainable brand and of course that didn't happen because there are no secrets and we can definitely dive into that a whole lot more. But ultimately what we decided to do was to take the brand in a really radically sustainably focused direction. And the alternative to that was closing the brand, which we sat with a lot because we really don't believe in the way that the fashion industry exists in its current state. And we feel like it's completely opposed to being conducive with the environment around us. And what we saw was if we brought tubes along this journey where we really radically changed our practices to better ones, how much impact could we be creating through this ripple effect into the rest of the retail world? And it's been really cool because, you know, we've got lots of friends who work at different brands and they give us the feedback that, oh, like I'm sitting in meetings and someone's bringing up tubes saying, oh, have you seen the most recent most recent material that they've introduced? And that's an amazing moment for us because that's exactly why we currently exist. Yeah. I mean, obviously you've kind of spoken, there's obviously highs and lows within this journey, right? What were some of the challenges that you faced making your brand more ethical or just, you know, following that path? 
Well, it was actually during COVID when our sales went to basically nothing that we decided to make that pivot. So that was one of the challenges that we were facing was we had at the time we were still stocked in retailers like David Jones and the Iconic. And it was almost like we were on this hamster wheel where they were like, okay, now we want to order more. Now we want to order more. And we were like, oh, okay, we really want to pause and like reassess and like become more sustainably focused. But where do you get that pause when you're already like having to fulfill orders season after season? So that's why what at first seemed like a real curse turned out to be a huge blessing. When our orders did go to nothing, when all the retailers did cancel our orders, we kind of sat around twiddling our thumbs for a moment. And then we were like, oh wait, we have a huge opportunity here. So that was so important for us that like seeing all of these you know, lulls in the business or things that could be perceived as bad and seeing, okay, how could we take this as an opportunity to align the business more with our values or turn this, what what could be the positives here? That's something we always kind of try to look at within the business. And I think it was just, you know, such beautiful timing that we were able to be like, all right, we actually do want to be really sustainably focused. And it's actually not aligning for us to be in retailers because they're demanding or that we be on trend and that we constantly create newness. And so that, our prices be lower. Yeah. Like all of these things. Um, so even though externally it was like, all right, an environmentally pivot internally so much changed because we also became completely direct to consumer at that point. Um, we didn't just change the materials. We also changed like our, our own practices, the factories we were working with, we changed, um, we offset all our carbon, we created a recycling program, we changed the way we market ourselves, the way we speak about our product, we stopped going on sale um, because we didn't want to push people into buying things that they don't need. So it was a really, really massive shift that did require um, to like potentially take away from the sales that we were having because because people wanted that newness. People wanted those trend pieces. And we had to be like, actually, now we're just going to design basics for you that you can keep for years to come. And it was a huge risk. And I think that these things always are a huge risk. And when we relaunched at the in December 2020 with that environmentally focused um, pivot, I'm laughing that it's December because we probably meant to launch in like September, but retail, right? Yeah. We always end up launching like three months later, like yeah, like three weeks before Christmas. Here's our new collection. <laughs> but um, yeah, when we did, we genuinely had no idea how it was going to be received. And luckily for us, people really did want to shop their values through COVID. That's what we found a big shift in consumer trend there that people really wanted to buy things that were going to make them feel good and feel good about the impact they were having. And yeah, the business has really been on the up since then. And that's why we like to showcase ourselves to other brands to be like, look, it really is possible to balance profit with purpose. You do need to take risks, but the payoff is so worth it from profitability, from a profitability perspective, as well as a planet perspective. And it's really beautiful how nicely that silver lining worked in your favor because, as you said, it could have really gone either way doing that. But having that lull, like, then gave your brand this kind of evolution, if, you know, maybe a rebirth as such, and you were able to come back better than ever. And mm-hmm. and I think it's really cool that you pushed against what retailers were saying in terms of that whole trend thing because, I think one of the hardest parts about being sustainable is not trying to push product onto consumers because that's the biggest problem, right? If you're asking them to overconsume when yourself, your own values are trying to do the opposite. 
Yeah. Oh, Maddie, we could talk about that for 16 hours. It is so confusing. Like we often talk internally about how we're a footwear company that's trying to convince you to buy less shoes. What a confusing thing to be. <laughs> yeah, like how do you retain customers without selling them more product, right? You're yeah, like- yeah. And we have like we put in a lot of messaging around like please shop responsibly is on our top scroll on our website. And that's like we found is like a really nice sweet spot. But then if we go too far and we like, remind people at checkout not to buy too much, then we get feedback that they didn't buy from us and then they went and they bought from ASOS instead. So it's like this really delicate line that we're always towing to be like, how do we educate consumers not to buy stuff they don't need? But if they do need to buy stuff, they should become in brands like us that are doing better. Yeah. Mm. And like how good that you've obviously put so much time, effort, you know, hours into doing this whole big brand refresh. And now you've got you own and you've run a brand that you're actually really proud of. And mm. like you're so proud of the purpose behind it. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. It's completely changed our experience of like showing up to work every day. And, and also our team, everyone internally is just so much more passionate and excited by what we're doing than previously. <laughs> Amazing. That is amazing. And <laughs> um, we've seen your collaboration with First Nations artist, Vanda McCulloch, and we absolutely loved it. Yeah. Um, could you tell us a bit about how that happened? How did it start and kind of what was this, the process of it? Yes. I feel like it started in the most tubesy way because, like, we just do things so on the fly and maybe because we run a lot of ads and things, there's a perception sometimes that we're this big business. But I feel like this perfectly will illustrate what kind of a business we are. Yeah. <laughs> So Glenda actually just sent Tubes a DM on Instagram and it was very brief. It wasn't even like, you know, she hadn't made a pitch deck or anything like that. She had just said, hey, I love Tubes. I'm an artist. Here's my work. I think that the art would look great on your shoes. And I remember Steph and I must have been, it was, I think it was in January and Steph and I must have been boarding a plane, like either to a holiday or home from a holiday. And I remember standing in line, scrolling on my phone, just looking at all of our comments and DMs. And I showed it to Stephanie and I was like, Hey, this hour, that's really cool. Like, what do you think? And I think within a couple of weeks, we were having a zoom with Glenda to talk to her about what exactly it could look like. And yeah, I mean, we are very disorganized, even as we try to be like a professional company. So I think the whole thing probably took us like a year to get off the ground just because we were at that point moving so slowly. But we've continued to collaborate with Glenda now for about three years, I want to say, maybe two and a half years. And yeah, because that was Jan 2020 that Jess was talking about when she first DM'd us. So that was a few years ago now. Um, And the first collaboration we did with them sold out in like an hour online. And then we've restocked that one a couple of times. It kept selling out. And then we collaborated with them again this year because we have so much demand for it. Um, Yeah, her artwork is just so beautiful. I think the environmental ethos of her designs and our brand is just like so perfect together. So we relaunched it again a couple of months ago and again sold out in a couple of hours um, we've restocked it a couple of times and now we've finally made the decision that, okay, we should just like order a lot. Like every time we order more and we're like, this time we're really going to keep them in stock and then they sell out. And then this time we're really going to keep it in stock. So we're pretty sure that this time we're really going to keep them in stock. They should be back. Um, they're on pre-order on the website, but, um, from January, they'll be back in stock, hopefully for a while. And I feel like every time we're surprised 
Like every time our community surprises us by how much they love these shoes. The first time Steph and I were in the car when they launched. And then by we're in the, the time, car on the way back from the airport with our laptops out. By the time we got home in the car ride, they were sold out. And we just looked at each other. And I remember my partner was there and he was like, What are you guys? Like, this is the wildest thing I have ever seen. We were like, Well, another one's old, another one, another one. Oops, they sold out. It happened. And so fast, and it's kind of happened that way ever since. Anytime we launch it, and it's it still surprises me. I don't know why. Yeah, and it it's been really cool because we've also had a partner in that that Glenda chose, which is Injilinji Kindergarten, which is in her local community, and five dollars from every pair sold goes to the kindergarten. And so where we just keep calling them, being like, we've got you know, so much more money for you. And they're just so excited with what they've been able to do with that. And they send us pictures of like, you know, the play equipment and things like that. So it's pretty cool. Oh, that gives me shivers. That's so lovely to think that it's actually going somewhere and it's something, I don't know, tangible that you can actually see. You can really like feel that it's a real relationship. But I'd love to know if you can share with us those sellouts. Was it mostly from customers within Australia or was this like people looking internationally that just love Australian art and wanted to find someone who was, you know, in a relationship where this art was being produced in a ethical, practical way that was, you know, obviously linked to somebody who is of First Nations? Mm, yeah, mostly Australians. Most of our customers are Australian, um, probably like close to 90% are still in Australia. So yeah, definitely the reception for the collaboration was hugely Australia-based. And I think everyone's just excited to celebrate something First Nations. And Kunjalella is actually a sisters collective and we're sisters. So there's just like so much so much going on within the collection that just like makes sense for all involved and it just like feels like something super special that's obviously resonating with people and we're always looking for other collaborations to do and when we look at them we're always like does this compare to kanjalela art and it rarely does and so we rarely do collaborations we're really picky about who we do want to collaborate with uh, and when we ask our customers they're like more kanjalela art please um, <laughs> more first nations design like they really love to support I think um you know First Nations art is so beautiful and to be able to wear them on shoes is so unique um so yeah it's been really cool that we've been able to create that and do you think it's the diehard proves customers that are buying into the collaborations or is it you attracting a completely new customer base Mm, that's such a good question I think it's a little bit of both Um, yeah, I think it's a, I think it like speaks to a really wide variety of people. Like the colors of the art is quite soft. So even though you are wearing a print on your shoes, which you would expect to be making a huge statement, it's actually quite subtle. And for some reason, people don't feel afraid of it, which other times when we've done other things and they felt quite like patterned or you know, overly complicated, people feel afraid. This is not that. People are just like, yeah, I know how to wear these. I just want to put them on my feet and wear them with everything and I'm good to go. <laughs> well, time to stock up and get a lot more. Yeah, I'm running down <laughs> dates. <laughs> um, so the brand started as a vegan footwear brand in 2016. And, I mean, we've already touched on it. You guys said, you know, you weren't even vegans at the time. And it really just wasn't mainstream. I'd say consumers were almost like, apprehensive about veganism as a whole but then particularly when it came to kind of clothing and footwear I mean how did you navigate this when you kind of launched in 2016 and how did you build a market around kind of vegan products 
Mm, so interesting. Cause when we first launched it and we talked about them being vegan, I remember we used to get on, on our Facebook ads, we would get all these hate comments. Like, um, people would just be like, well, can I, can I eat them? Like, what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. Like vegan fashion was just not a thing then. And we actually, the solution we came up with was don't market them as vegan. And those were our most successful ads where we just didn't tell anyone and we didn't talk about it. And it wasn't a selling point, which was really interesting because we never made them vegan as a selling point. We just really, as just said, cared about animals so much that we, that we wanted to make vegan shoes. Like <laughs> they, we were like, they're comfortable and people love that about them. They look really cool. People love that about them. Let's just stick with those as our selling points. And it wasn't until a few years later that um, being vegan was something that people really cared about. It is quite interesting because we actually recently did a survey of our customers and still um, them being vegan is such a small segment of why people buy them. Um, so it's it's not a major selling point for us, but it's just something that we're really proud of personally to be creating and um, also really cool that we've been able to sell these non-animal product shoes to so many people that would be buying animal products anyway and you know really converting them away from that feels really awesome and the fact that we're able to provide vegans with an option for a cool and fashionable shoe is really awesome too it is definitely awesome and it just goes to show how much the consumer is changing and like you say how consumers are now shopping with their values you know, as I mean, and 2016 was not that long ago. Yeah. You know, that blows well my mind. I'm trying to think. You must have been one of the first brands to offer that, though. Were you? Like, yeah, you- I I think it was one of the first brands. And I think what we've seen from people is that even when we into even when we ask them and survey them about why have you bought the shoes, environmentally focused, it's it's up there. Like I think it was number two this time around, but it's never the number one reason. And I think what that's really shown us is that people want to buy things that are convenient. Like convenience is the number one. So if they want to buy a cool shoe, if they want cool fashion, they want comfortable things like at a good price point, those are the things that they always care about, no matter how much they care about anything else. Like even us as well, like I'm not going to buy something that I don't like just because it's environmentally focused. That wouldn't be good for the environment anyway. So that's really what we've tried to create with Tubes is it's a really cool fashion forward shoe. You look awesome. I mean, it's going to be super comfy in it and it's good for the environment and it's vegan. And I think that those things are, uh, the, you know, they're the icing on top that maybe get some people across the line, but they're definitely things that people go, oh, cool. Like this is an awesome shoe and it's better than this other shoe. Then yeah, I'll choose that one over this other one. Yeah, for sure. And there's something that I feel as we, you know, it's been speaking to you and kind of gotten to know how organically things have come together. I know you said it's disorganized, but to me, I feel like it's really organic. Like it's really natural. It's you guys. And something that really like falls into that for me is your launching of the oopsies um, and, you know, kind of turning a setback into an, into a marketing, marketing opportunity um, by addressing the challenges of some damaged stock. Can you talk us through what happened and, and how you flipped that around? Yeah, another tubesy story. Absolutely. (laughs) It actually came about right here where we're sitting. Oh, you were here? Yeah. I was in India. I was in India on a 10-day retreat. Jess had no idea any of it was happening. I got a call from Jess. I remember I was standing in a bathroom in a hotel in India. So actually what happened was we received a bunch of stock from a factory that we had been working with for a couple of years, and we had never had a problem with the quality prior 
But so I didn't even check the stock. I don't even check the stock. It just arrives in our warehouse. We have a a third-party warehouse, so they just pick and pack our orders. So it was just going out to customers. But we started noticing that our customers were sending us emails of complaints that their shoes had marks on them or that they had glue on them. They didn't look quite right. And for the first few, I just thought, okay, it's just going to be a handful. It's okay. But then they started, like, coming in at quite a high percentage And I got like a huge pit in my stomach. And basically what we realized is that it was like 90% of the stock that we had received in this one shipment. So it was incredibly high and it just wasn't to the standard that we needed it to be. It wasn't to the standard that our customers expected from us or that we expected from our factory. And we have like a really excellent working relationship with our factory. So, you know, of course I got on the phone to them and I was talking to them about what happened and they were so apologetic. And I think like they had rushed it through for us. It it was our biggest order that we had ever placed with them. And I think that they just wanted to say yes when maybe they should have said that they had more time. And essentially what happened was we had all this stock that we didn't feel comfortable selling to our customers it wasn't like we were feeling super proud of them if they rocked up to their house having just ordered them online. Even if they didn't notice these imperfections, we knew that they were there and I really didn't feel comfortable with them thinking that that was the quality of tubes. That like, oh, if I purchase again, like it's it's normal that I'll have glue on my shoes. It's like, no, that is not normal. That is not what we want to be giving. And for a little while, I just like sat on it and felt really sick about it. Usually things within our business are carried between the two of us, me and Steph. So we get to like talk about them and talk through them. But because she was on retreat in India, I didn't have her to like bounce ideas off of. So I was just kind of like staying up at night, feeling really sick um, and not kind of knowing what to do. And then my partner was so sick of listening to me just like absolutely spiral about it for so long and just say, what the hell are we going to do? What the hell are we going to do? Because essentially what would usually happen, which most retailers would know is uh, we would just send the product back to China. They would give us a hundred percent refund on that stock and they would essentially throw that stock away. And from an ethical perspective, we didn't feel comfortable with that um, because they have still paid all of these factory workers to make these shoes and then they would be out of pocket so much money. And also then thousands of shoes would be ending up in landfill when in reality, they're super wearable. They just like are a little bit imperfect. So my partner said, well, why don't you just be honest with your customers about it? I don't understand what the big deal is. Like, of course, when you're outside of a problem, you can just see things so clearly, right? And I was like, oh, why don't we just be honest with them? Like that is the most obvious thing ever. Like people will understand if we just tell them the truth. And so I remember when I called Steph once she got off retreat, I was like, this is the problem. And I think we should just be honest about it. And she was like, yeah, cool. That sounds great. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Namaste. (laughs) And then that was just what we did. We basically just were completely honest with our customers about it. We told them what happened. We wrote a blog post about it. We discounted the shoes um, and our factory gave us a discount. That way we felt like it was you know, as fair as possible for them, as fair as possible for us and as fair as possible for our customers, which is kind of a balance that we're constantly trying to strike. And I think that people really appreciated the honesty and the pullback on the curtain of what would usually happen in the fashion industry was really interesting because obviously to all of us who've been working in retail for so many years, 
we know that that happens and we just kind of accept it. Oh yeah, of course. If you receive something bad from your factory, you just send it back. They give you a refund and they throw it away. But to watch people outside of the fashion industry actually have that set in and then say, what? So perfectly good shoes would end up in the bin just because they're not totally perfect. It's a ridiculous concept. And the fact that our customers were also able to mirror that ridiculousness to us was a huge learning experience. And we did get some press on it. And I think that hopefully other retailers saw the reception from our customers that, you know, this is something that we can be doing is to be honest about our mistakes with people and expect that they'll receive that honesty in a respectful manner. And customers got the opportunity to have a discount from us, which we never give. So they really appreciated it. And they were excited to be able to take these shoes and wear them instead of them going to landfill. And actually most of the customer feedback we've had on that is I couldn't even tell that there was an issue with them. And I think it's so funny because if a customer has paid full price for something and they're like, all right, this is meant to be perfect. They'll find the tiniest little speck of dust that happened to like float on as they opened the box. <laughs> but when, when you're honest with them and they know to expect that, then I think they're happy. They're like, what? I can't even see anything. There's a few scratches, but nothing, you know? So I think, yeah, it really paid to be transparent with them and bring them along the journey. And we kind of think we don't give customers enough credit sometimes. And when we were completely honest with them, they were like, oh, cool. Yeah, we're here for this. And did you sell the rest of the stock at a discounted rate as well from the same shipment? Yeah. So the whole 3000 pairs we um, put onto a discount and we actually have um, a few hundred of them left still. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a beautiful story and a nice way to turn like something that could have really, you know, been a big problem. You, like you said, you, you kind of made your customer into part of the solution and it's an environmental solution. And you know what? There are so many businesses out there that call themselves sustainable that are doing exactly that. If something arrives and it's damaged, they're sending it back and it's going in the bin and they're still calling themselves sustainable. If you're not looking at the entire supply chain, including returns, how can you call yourselves that and sleep at night? Totally. And I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we're very careful to never call ourselves sustainable because for us, like we say sustainably focused, environmentally focused, because we know there's not just like okay, we're sustainable now. Like we're not out here planting trees. We're creating fashion products. And yeah, and we're not sustainable. Like I think that the current state of sustainable fashion in quotation marks, like even if everyone in the fashion industry was to shift to those practices, it wouldn't be good enough. And we would still end up in the same place where we're headed. Like the the requirement from us all to be sustainably focused is that we're constantly adopting whatever the latest technology is, whatever the latest innovations are. And hopefully that means that eventually we'll be somewhere sustainable. But right now we're definitely not. The long journey. Yeah. And that's a nice way to look at it being focused rather than it being like a light on or light off situation. Cause it's most definitely not. Mm. Exactly. For sure. Yeah. It's, I feel like just in the world that we live in, in the moment and with social media things, people just want things to be black and white. Like, are you sustainable or are you not sustainable? And it's just so much more gray than that. True. Um, I mean, we've already spoke about um, your amazing product. Um, definitely it's known for its comfort and we can vouch for that. Um, <laughs> say you're not as sustainable but it's definitely sustainable sustainable focused but also just so cool and so pretty and what's your kind of what's the experience about the creation and the ideation process do you want me to answer that sure (laughs) quiet 
Uh, I, I, thought you I was I was actually just so focused on how nice it sounds when a British accent says the word pretty. Pretty. <laughs> I just like I my brain stopped when you said that word and I was just like oh, daydreaming oh, that. <laughs> so the the idea for the design of the shoes actually originally came from kids' shoes. So Steph mentioned earlier that you know we were always experiencing blisters and rolling our ankles in the shoes that we were wearing prior to tubes. And we often would marvel at kids and how fabulous they get to look, but we would never compromise on a kid's comfort, right? Like you're never giving your kid a pair of shoes and being like, hey, this looks really great, but like your your feet are going to kill by the end of the day. Uh, It's okay. Like here's a pair of little baby heels for you to wear and kill your feet in. Yeah, like we really prioritize their comfort, but we don't prioritize our own or really our society doesn't prioritize female comfort in particular. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if you you look at like little Nike kids' shoes, you might see a a semi-resemblance between our shoes, which is that they're made from like really nice soft material. Uh, so that was where it started. And then we basically have just iterated it ever since. But our OG style, which you can see online and is by far and away our bestseller, is the OG that we started with seven and a half years ago. Yeah, both the OG and the OG Plus, we launched with them. Yeah. And I think that, you know, at Tubes, I think what's super cool is like we really don't take ourselves seriously and I think Steph and I both love fashion, but we really don't take it seriously. So we love to dress up. We love it to be playful. We love it to be light. And that's kind of the experience that you have when you put a pair of tubes on your feet. Like there, you can dress it up. You can dress it down. You can take them off. Like, you know, we're always like in bare feet, just like strapping them on and off with Velcro is like so great. I feel like they just, they come along the journey in your life rather than getting in the way of your life, which is what we want fashion to be. And when you launch new products, how do you make sure that like every new product aligns to your brand DNA? Oh, just- it takes us a really long time to launch new products for that exact <laughs> reason. <laughs> we, we, well, we've got the OG and the OG Plus, and then really the only two additional products at the moment are the Sidekick which we had to launch twice. Um, We had like the 1.0 and the 2.0 and the boot, which we launched last year. And the boot was something we were working on for years, um, like three years or so. And we've got a few new styles that we've been working on, but they really have to have that tubes DNA, like, you know, look like a tube shoe, but also have the comfort of a tube shoe and also be serving a different purpose because we want people, we want to be able to replace the shoes that people have in their wardrobe that they would be buying from somewhere that isn't as sustainably focused. So um, there, there are all these requirements and yeah, we have to be very, very patient with it. Um, and also once we do launch a new product, it always um, takes customers a few years to really fully adopt it. That's why for us having that OG since for the last seven years, people have really gotten to know and trust that style. For a little while we went into eyewear and people often say to us, oh, you're, you know, you guys have done so well in shoes. Are you going to go into other product categories? But when we launched eyewear, it was like, you know, one a week we were selling. And we realized that when you go into a new product category, just because you have that brand trust, or even when you go into a new style, people really take a while to warm up to it. And as the brand grows, you know, now when we launched the boot, we had the biggest reception we've ever had on a new product, but still it's not outshining the OG and the OG plus. So we do want to be adding more styles and hopefully in the next kind of six months we'll be adding two is it to the product range 
Two, maybe three. Two, maybe three. But yeah, yeah we, don't, we never rush it because we have rushed it in the past and it hasn't gone well. And how do you take on board? I know that you guys are really um, out there on social media. I often get your posts on Instagram um, and TikTok. How important is customer feedback? Because I know people ask about colors or bring this back or, or whatever. I mean, how important is that to you? Are you really taking taking stock of that feedback and utilizing that? Um, I have one foot in, one foot out. I am the product development of the team. So often like our marketing team will come to us and be like, it's come to I'm me. I'm the marketing team. No, but Bianca <laughs> will come to me and be like, everyone on TikTok wants this color. And I'm always like, give me a break. No one's going to order that color if we launch it. And I think a really good example of that is khaki. So we used to stop khaki and then we took it away because no one was buying it. And then everyone was like, launch khaki. We love khaki. Bring back khaki. And I was like, oh, okay. I didn't realize you loved it because no one was buying it. But here you go. You can have it again. And then everyone was like, no, we don't want that. And, <laughs> and no one bought it. And then we took it away again. And then for about three years or two and a half years, people were begging us for khaki. And our team was always telling me, everyone on social wants khaki. I'm like, oh, okay, I don't think that they're going to buy it, but like maybe they will. And I think I got worn down over two and a half years. And so we launched khaki again a couple of months ago. Crickets. Nobody likes khaki. Nobody wants to buy khaki, but they think they do. And it's really interesting what people think they want versus what they will actually buy. And it's completely different. And I get it because I think I also do that as a consumer, but yeah, I guess we take we take customer feedback with a grain of salt. Even when we make a design adjustment, because we do make design adjustments, even though the shoes are essentially like the same style that we've been carrying, but, you know, we might move the strap up a bit on the foot or widen it a little bit here. Like we'll always have customer pushback when we first change it. They're like, I liked it better before. But then, and even actually people in our team, like you used to say to me, I liked it better before, but then, you know, after six months or eight months of you wearing the new thing, you're like, oh, this is actually so much better than it was previously. And I feel like people just hate change. And I think it's hard with social media because it's always like just a couple of people with these really loud comments that you get really caught up on. Like when we were doing, when we launched Oopsies that we were talking about before, we had a couple of people, maybe two people were like, this is clearly just a marketing stunt. And then, you know, the whole team is like on Slack being like, everyone's saying it's a marketing stunt. Like, what are we going to do? And you get so caught up in these like loud voices that are very few. Whereas I think that most people are usually just like, the people that are happy aren't really the ones that are the loudest on social media. So that's why we do take on a lot of customer feedback, but we also are careful not to make dra dramatic shifts based on what we're hearing. Yeah, but they have been asking for orange for a really long time and we're actually releasing orange tomorrow. So I'm very curious as to how that goes. <laughs> and we have also just tracked um, your, your commitment to giving back. I mean, you do see much. We've already spoke about, um, you know, do donating and supporting the local kindergartens seeing all their equipment they've you know managed to implement into their kind of daycares because of you guys which must just feel incredible uh, but that's not all you do you support and empower women with startups um, so honestly we really kind of commend what you're doing how has your journey kind of as entrepreneurs shaped your passion for making a positive impact beyond just fashion I think the beauty of having a small brand small-ish now that we are is that we've really been able to 
bring the brand along the journey of what we're passionate about. So Jess and I have so many things that we're super passionate about and externally and internally, we're able to take the brand on that journey with us. And that's a really cool thing about being entrepreneurs and being a founder-led brand. So Jess is actually also a yoga teacher um, and I'm also a meditation teacher. So that, that, you know, wellness and spirituality have become things that have been a really big part of our lives over the last few years. And we've been able to bring that into tubes. We've done meditations for people uh, that we've posted on socials around when you're about to buy something that you don't necessarily need, or when you're about to purchase something, here's a little pause and meditation and drop-in that you can do. And with the team, we'll do uh, when we're having our Monday whip meeting, we will start it with one of us will guide a meditation drop-in and then we'll do a feeling share. And so there are so many ways that we've been able to kind of like weave together our lives, what we're passionate about and the business and the way that we run it and the way that we speak to our customers. And I think that that, what that really does is it allows us to continue to stay inspired in tubes. I think if we weren't doing those things, we probably would have opted out a really long time ago because we are like ever evolving beings and our interests are ever evolving. You know, we love fashion, but like we loved fashion when we started tubes. And if it was only fashion, I don't think it would have kept our interests for as long as it has. But because we can, you know, bring along animals and the climate crisis and, um, you know, caring about other things and bringing along different passions, it means that we show up to work every day excited as opposed to feeling like shackled to this thing that we've built, which is really lovely. It adds an element of newness to the business, doesn't it? It just keeps you. For sure. Yeah, it's constantly evolving and I think also the fact that it's just the two of us, like we'll call each other and be like, what do you think of like, I know we were going left, but what if we take a hard right now? And we'll be like, okay. And then we just go in and tell the team like, we're doing this now. And that was how we recently opened a store in Byron. And we literally called the team one day and we're like, so we found a store in Byron. So that's happening. And I think it makes it so much fun. Like, because we're a small team as well, we can be really agile and we can just really pivot with whatever's happening at the time. I really love that. I like how you rebranded Agile as Tubesy. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. You've kind of touched upon, well, you did touch upon opening a physical store. What else is, you know, what's happening in the future? Like tell us more about your, your store in Byron and are there any other big plans you can talk to us about for Tubes? Mm, so the store in Byron is something that we have like softly been looking for for about three years since Steph moved up here. We always felt like Byron was perfect alignment for Tubes in terms of its environmental focus. But the other great thing about Byron is that because it's such a holiday destin- destination for people all around Australia and also internationally, it means that from the one location, we're able to access people from lots of different places. It's been so cool to be in there over the last week since we opened. And a lot of people are just here for three days from Adelaide or here for three days from Melbourne or from Sydney. And it's like, one hub where we get to access that many different people and particularly being environmentally focused that's awesome because it means we're not having to try to sell to the same people over and over again whereas yeah in Melbourne when we've kind of done pop-ups and different things there 
because Melbourne is a very like livable city, it was the same group of people we were constantly dipping into, which is not really what we wanted to do with the store. And I mean, the fit out of the store is probably what we're currently most proud of. It is beautiful, firstly, but also it was made from a lot of recycled materials. So over 850 kilos of plastic were diverted from landfill to make the store. And yeah, we're just like so excited to have this place where people can come and touch and feel and really be immersed in this tubesy way of life. And it's in our favorite place in the world, which is Byron. I think that's beautiful and it's very thoughtful that you've gone further than just thinking about, you know, the customer and not having to educate, but also that holiday aspect. I think that's really smart because people are always looking for garments when they're on holidays and to be able to purchase something that's kind of purpose-driven, values-based, and is also a beautiful space, I think you're winning. Yeah. So our very last question is, it's a big one and feel free to take a minute if you need it. (laughs) It's all about thinking of the future of retail. So if you could look into the crystal ball and try and predict what you think retail might look like in five or 10 years or what you hope it to look like, what do you see happening? Ooh, great question. I feel like we always accidentally end up predicting what happens. Like we keep, people are like, whoa, you're so forward thinking. Like, how did you know that like vegan fashion was going to be a thing? Environmentally focused. We're like, we just kind of go as we feel and it ends up being the right way. I feel like the industry is going to be a lot more regulated. I don't know if this is a feel or a hope, but I think that the fashion industry is going to be a lot more regulated and that governments are going to be regulating what brands are able to do and say around the environment, around the people that make them. I think that the change has to come from from the government. And I think that as the pressure to do something about the climate crisis becomes greater, that's really what we're going to see happen. And I think that the brands that are already employing those practices are going to be the ones that are better off. Mm. I, I'd love, I'd really love to see, it's so difficult here in Australia because we don't make anything on shore, but I would love to see like really robust closed loop solutions starting to come to fruition. I think um, as I can already see that like as a small to medium sized brand, that is going to become difficult because the big brands are going to be the ones that are going to be able to fund things like that. So I would love to see like a lot of innovation in the startup space around third parties that can come in and kind of help you navigate a circular solution because it's so difficult and costly for brands. Um, But I really think that if we could start doing that, it would it would really start to change the game. And, and I'd love to see it slow down. I don't know that it will, but I really think we need to see it slow down. Thank you for joining us for the final episode of the Retail Wrap-Up Podcast for 2023. We cannot thank our listeners enough for your continued support over the last four years. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast next year, you know where to find us on Instagram at Retail Oasis or LinkedIn and make sure to subscribe to receive notification when we drop season four in the new year. If you can't get enough of retail, we have three final spots remaining on our 10th annual retail tour to New York City this coming January. Be sure to visit our website for more information on the tour or on our upcoming 10th annual Big Breakfast event. We'd love to hear from you, our loyal listeners, by way of a review or drop us a guest suggestion via one of our social media channels. Thank you for joining us and we look forward to bringing you more retail inspiration in 2024. Bye.